Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. That we'll be looking at how do we live out the mission of God as we walk alongside the LGBTQ plus community. So today, with this issue of homosexuality, for many in culture today, this issue is all about politics, or it's about choice, or it's about fairness, or it's about how do we respond with authenticity to the feelings that we may or may not have. For other people, this issue of homosexuality represents none of that. For other people, this represents a long and hard struggle to know who am I? Why do I have these feelings and what does that say about me? And for other people, this issue is just purely black and white. God says don't do it, so you shouldn't do it, and if you do it, then you are damned to hell. So there's a lot of views on this topic. So as we dive into this, we're going to look at three different scripture passages in a minute. I want to make two opening statements very clear as we jump into this topic. First off, let's recognize, quote, they are not out there. Let me explain what I mean by that. Those who struggle with same-sex attraction or any sexual issues, first off, they are not a they, and they are not somewhere out there. There are many in our church who wrestle with a lot of sexuality issues, and we welcome them here. There are many people who are struggling to discern their own sexual identity, and we're super thankful that they're part of our redemption family. They are not they, and they are not out there. They're here with us. So we want to approach this topic with grace, with listening, with empathy, knowing that God has spoken clearly. So what does that mean to love people well? And I also just want to say, for those of you here who maybe do have same-sex attraction or sexual orientation questioning issues that you're walking through, I'm so glad you're here with us. And I'm not just saying here today on this Sunday. I'm saying that we're honored that you would want Redemption Church to be part of your story, that you would want Redemption Church to be part of your journey. And we may not show it, we as a church are growing and understanding this, but we do want to walk alongside you. And we do want to journey with you as you figure out how to follow Jesus. And the second thing I want to say, and hopefully you're already seeing this throughout our series, the culture war is the wrong war. If you are more concerned about American laws and sexuality, more concerned about what is happening in schools, more concerned about those types of things than actually loving people who maybe you disagree with, I think you might be wrapped up in the wrong war. The cultural war is not the primary battle that we are called to be engaged in. I think that for many, conservative Christianity in America is on the wrong battlefield, fighting the wrong enemy. I believe, sadly, that the moral majority of the 80s and the 90s and the religious right have wrongly informed the church on how to approach this issue. 
because we've only looked, in, looked at this issue in terms of what is right, what is wrong, end of story. And that is sadly not the end of the story. And one way to assess if maybe you've been more informed by the culture war than actually by the whole story of God is this. If the only thing you know about homosexuality is that the Bible condemns it, and that's it, I think you have maybe been wrongly informed. Because yes, the Bible does condemn homosexuality, but it says a lot more as well about how to describe and understand sexual sin. Because friends, the LGBTQ plus community is not the enemy. And I'm not saying that they're not living in sin, because Scripture is very clear that any sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and woman is sin. Whether that's sex outside the marriage covenant, pornography, adultery, homosexual sex, but that does not make this community the enemy. The true enemy is Satan, who is even dividing the church on this issue to instill fear and to cause this church to shift off of where the real battlefield is. So I just want to say this up front because this is really critical for us to understand. Because as we always say here at Redemption, there's a story shaping us. There's a narrative informing what you do or don't think about homosexuality, what you do or don't think about the gay community. So the question for today is what script is informing you about homosexuality? We want the story of God to be our signpost, to be our guiding light in this topic. So this morning, we're going to have three different scriptures read. So I'm going to invite Mike Lapino up and invite Krista Bohannon up, and they're going to read three passages for us. I would encourage you to, if you want to just re- listen, you don't have to necessarily look all these up. You can maybe jot it down, read these later, but I would just encourage you to listen as they read these three scripture passages for us. The first one we're going to read from is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heaven and every other living thing that moves on the earth. The second one is from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Let's pray. God, as we seek to understand our own hearts, as we seek to understand how your word speaks to our hearts, God, I do ask for grace for myself and for each one of us here. Jesus, as we seek to understand a little bit more clearly an issue that has divided people, an issue that people have been sadly killed over, an issue that people have killed themselves over, an issue that has so much weight and pain associated with it, and so much confusion even in your church about this, Jesus. I ask Jesus for, again, for grace that we would be able to listen well to what you are saying to us. Pray in some small way, Jesus, that today and our time together would shape us to be your missionary people here in Hampton Roads. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, what I want us to see is that if we can understand the gay story, if we can understand how culturally we have been shaped to think about this issue, only then do we actually know how to show that the lordship of Jesus is even better. So we want to begin by unpacking and understanding the gay story. And then we will look at how do we walk alongside our brothers and sisters in love. Many Christians think that the only thing, again, I already mentioned this, the, only thing, the most important thing to understand is that, well, God condemns homosexuality. And that's the end of the story. And again, that's part of it. But that is far from the whole story. So today, what we want to look at is if we understand the script shaping people's lives, then we can show how Jesus speaks into that. So let's start by unpacking, understanding the gay story. Understanding the gay story or the gay script. For many people who identify as homosexual, often that desire for many begins unwanted. Research and testimony upon testimony show that often same-sex attraction is battled against. It is suppressed until eventually many people feel they have no choice but to identify with their feelings and live into them. For many, they have experienced these feelings their whole life, as long as they can remember. While for others, these feelings come gradually, maybe in the teen years, maybe in adulthood, maybe after some significant trauma. For many, these sexual desires of same-sex attraction come from a host of reasons. For many, these desires often are mixed with homo or heterosexual desires. So what I'm trying to show you is that the feelings and experience of same-sex attraction is far from monolithic. It's far from looking the exact same, but it is as complex and individual as each of us are. So just think about what I just said. If that's true, then that means you better be a really good listener to understand people's story, to understand their journey, to understand why and how they identify the way they do. And when I use this word gay story, gay script, 
That's not all being used in a negative sense. That's not, it's not a bash of, oh, here's the gay script that they're going to use. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm rather saying there is a narrative, there is a whole worldview that's shaping and informing how you interpret desire and attraction and how that connects to real life. There's something informing that. So within the cultural landscape today, being gay, identifying as homosexual, is viewed as normal. It's viewed as accepted in most places, but actually what it's really viewed as, this word is really critical, it's viewed as authentic. Today, if you were to tell someone that you had feelings of same-sex attraction or that you identified as being gay, but you were resisting those feelings, people would say to you, why? That's who you are. That's who you're supposed to be. You're being inauthentic to yourself if you resist those feelings. And if you said the opposite to someone, maybe someone identifies as gay and you told them you should not live into those things, well then you would be seen as a bigot. You would be seen as lacking compassion. You would be told you are keeping people from being who they're supposed to be. Anyone familiar with Lady Gaga? Her earlier albums were fantastic. Probably shouldn't have said that. Janet's going to be embarrassed, but... Lady Gaga, a few years back, wrote a song called Born That Way. And her song, Born That Way, in many ways has become a cultural banner for sexuality, for equality, and particularly for the LGBTQ plus community. It's a song that's, in many ways, a prophetic statement about being authentic to yourself and who you are supposed to be. Notice... Being who you're supposed to be is an identity statement. Let me read you some of the lyrics from this song. I think we have a slide with part of it up there. She writes, it doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M, referring to God. Just put your paws up because we were born this way, baby. My mama told me when I was young we were all born superstars. She rolled my hair, put lipstick on, in the glass of her boudoir, there's nothing wrong with loving who you are. Because he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say, I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Born this way. Her statement born this way implies how you feel and what you think internally is reality. It implies that whatever you feel, you cannot resist that because that would be inauthentic to who you are and who you are born to be. There's something informing that. How did we get to that place? You were born feeling like this sexually so that must be your reality. And to resist that would be inauthentic. That, in one sense, is what the gay script is telling us today. To be authentic to however you feel, because this is just who you are. So don't lie to yourself. Or as Lady Gaga would say, don't hide in your regret. And interestingly enough, Lady Gaga is actually quite articulate in helping show us where the authority and true morality for our lives is actually at work. We live in a world now where you must acknowledge your core feelings 
to express who you actually are, to be truly authentic. We live in a world where we must acknowledge our unique core feelings, and both Lady Gaga and our culture at large are telling us, express yourself however you feel best, or else you're not being a real person. And notice, that's not just about sexuality. That's about anything in life. This is what scholars today are calling expressive individualism, which says we all have a unique core of feelings and intuition that should be expressed if we ourselves are to truly be realized. One scholar who has really helped me understand culturally where we're at and how we got there is a guy named Carl Truman, who wrote a really helpful book if you want to know more about this. But he writes this, the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings, sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large must recognize and will recognize and affirm this behavior. So I think that, in one sense, is what Lady Gaga is seeking to achieve. And this is what the modern script of homosexuality is telling us. To be authentic is the new standard of morality. If you want to be a true, good, moral, upright person, well, be authentic to whoever you feel you are. You must give authority to your inner feelings. This means that our inward feelings are now given the authority by which to control not only some actions, but our inward feelings tell us actually who we are. As Scott shared in his opening sermon over the last two sermons that we've heard, we didn't just land here overnight, friends. We didn't just suddenly wake up and say, oh my gosh, if you think you're a boy but you're trapped in a girl's body, well, who am I to resist that? We just... We did not land here overnight, friends. These tectonic plates of culture and thinking and philosophy have been slowly shifting for years, and for many of us, we're just now waking up to it. So I want us to briefly look at how did we get here? How do we land at this place where now my feelings tell me who I am, such that if I am attracted to a man as a man, that I must act in accordance to that if I'm supposed to be real to myself. So let's look at, secondly, how did we land at this place? Because if you do any little bit of research and study, homosexuality is nothing new. The sexual revelation, the sexual revolution, even in the 60s and 70s, did not make us come to where we are. If you were to dig back into ancient records, there are often very graphic depictions of what homosexuality looked like in ancient cultures thousands of years ago. So that's not new at all. But what is new is that now a sexual act or identity tells you who you are. There's a whole swath of thinkers and influencers and philosophers, for those of you who love geeking out about philosophy, and for those of you who don't like philosophy, think of these people as the leading influencers of their day. They would have been the TikTok stars. They would have been the Twitter stars. They would have been the ones with the millions of followers. One of them, one of the leaders, the leading thought guys who has so much influenced us today was a man named Immanuel Kant. He lived in the 18th century. He was a philosopher. He wrote extensively about how humans exist in two parts, two worlds. We are part nature, But we also have a separate reality that we live in where our minds 
are free to choose whatever we want. Our consciousness, call it the upper story world, is how we actually make reality. Our minds are how we give meaning to what we see. Kant said that with our mind, we can look at the world and say, let there be X, and it is so. We in our minds give purpose to reality around us. Kant, in his writings, made the human mind the absolute. He said the ultimate reality to which everything must conform is to the human mind. Think about that. That means that all human knowledge is a mental construction because the self creates the world. Again, you might be thinking, okay, where are we going here? Think about this. The self, your mind, creates the world. In your mind, you can create reality however you want. Your body doesn't need to tell you anything. Nature around you and the created cosmos doesn't inform you. However you want to view the world, you are free to do so. Check out what else Kant said. Anything that opposes you is inherently oppressive. And there's a lot more to say there, but briefly, it's a light speed look at how did we get to where we are now? If you can even just begin to grasp some of that and understand that, you can see how though it's taken centuries for Kant's writings to get really understood, we're there now. Welcome, friends, to our strange new world. If you want to be a cat, who am I to tell you you can't be a cat? You have sexual feelings for men or women, even though they may be the same sex. Well, who am I to tell you you can't live in whatever world you want to live in? Who am I, or who is God, or who is your body to tell you otherwise? Your body, including your sexual organs, are not part of an order, but they are at your disposal to do whatever you darn well please. Whatever you deem most in line with your inner self This means that our sexed bodies can have meaning imposed on them however we want. Thus, as we see, even in that upper-lower story divide, the upper story is our autonomous self. You You are free to put interpretation on your body however you want. The lower story is just your physical body. It's just raw material. There is no identity or purpose in your body. So, how does that specifically relate to homosexuality? How does that specifically relate to to those with same-sex attraction? Well, since your mind and your feelings define your reality, your body doesn't get a say. Since you are not, according to Kant and according to culture, since you are not an embodied human, but a split-level person, that means your body can do whatever you want with it sexually. Again, Scott hit on a lot of this last week in his sermon. So if you feel attracted to the same sex, if we're going to trace this cultural narrative out, well, you have to give in to those desires. You have to live into those sexual feelings and experiences, or else you're not being authentic to what your mind is telling you. So for the homosexual, for the one with same-sex attraction, there's no room for your body to inform you. The body is just a tool that you can use however you want. 
which if you think about it, is incredibly demeaning to the human body. That is a degrading view of the human body. This organ, these flesh and blood, body parts, these in one sense, this one author writes, these mere pieces of flesh between our legs, they don't tell us anything. They're simply a means by which we can live sexually however we want. This is why I believe that homosexuality is actually imposing a negative view on our embodied existence since it's denying the very purpose and structural design of the human body. And this, this is where the current cultural story of homosexuality leads us. The gay script of our cultural moment does not lead to freedom, but to bondage. Bondage to whatever your feelings tell you. Bondage to whatever our cultural moment is. Bondage to whatever your friends in the society at large is doing. You just better go with that flow. The freedom, sadly, that Lady Gaga triumphs about and claims to be secure in is actually a prison, both to her own mind and to our cultural moment of expressive individualism. But, but, if you look at the New Testament, often Paul will lay out something like super heavy and then he will say, but, but what if, what if in God's wisdom, in God's very existence, what if in God's character, he has already conferred on us an identity, a very purpose for who we are, all within our bodies? What if? This is where we realize that in Genesis 1 and throughout the whole storyline of the Bible, we realize that our purpose and identity as sexual beings is built into our embodied existence. So let's look at, thirdly, finding purpose and identity in the body. Let's go, go, to, go to Genesis 1. In the Genesis 1 account that Mike read for us, we see that our bodies as sexed individuals, as male and female, actually tell us, who am I? In Genesis 1, God makes it very clear that the differentiated sexes are designed for sexuality in conjunction with each other, as one man and one woman are in covenant sexuality together. The wording used connotes being suitable corresponding in not just identity and purpose, but even in sexuality together. The body is telling us something. The complementary nature of male and female speaks to this human longing that we have. So that means that if you were to sum up the Christian sex ethic throughout the Bible, we see that it is only to be expressed in marriage between a man and a woman, but that's grounded in our design. Though feelings are important, they don't tell you who you are. They are not a reliable guide to God's purposes. As one author wrote, the most reliable marker of who we are is our physically embodied, God-given identity as male or female. That means, friends, that your body is a reservoir of meaning. 
This also means that when we make sexual decisions, this is not a mere matter of a few rules to break or maybe to keep. No, you are expressing your view of the entire cosmos with what you do with your body sexually. I want you to think about that. When we make sexual decisions, you are expressing your entire view of the cosmos and human nature. So understanding this is the beginning of seeing how the Christian sex ethic does not lead to slavery, but actually to figuring out, who am I? But what about those who do struggle with homosexuality? What about those who do wrestle with issues of same-sex attraction? How is this view of homosexuality actually good news for them? What about our own brothers and sisters that we know of in our families, here at Redemption, our co-workers? What about those who struggle in this way? How does this view of creation and God's design actually show them here is more dignity and worth for you? Well, let's look at fourth, good news for the same sex attracted. If you are, and I just even want to, let's have a quick mental pause. If you are sitting here today, which you are, just confirm that. If you are someone who wrestles with same-sex attraction, or has homosexual leanings, or has very strong views even on this, that maybe I'm disagreeing with you right now, how is this squaring up in your mind? How are you hearing and processing all this? What I want you to see is that in Genesis 1 and then going forward throughout the entire storyline of Scripture, what each of us, not just the homosexual identifying person, but each of us is being invited into understanding personhood, which is infinitely greater than sexual expression. You are being called, we all are being called in this series to reconfigure who we think we are. But specifically for the one with homosexual attraction, with homosexual leanings, in Jesus and in your life with him, allegiance to him, you can recognize that your identity is not nebulous. It's not up for you to figure out. Your identity is fixed. It's secure. You no longer need to figure out, well, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? In Jesus, you have that answer. Realizing and coming to believe that your identity is given to you in Jesus is a much greater discovery because now you realize that your body as, ba as male or female is actually a gift from God and actually finds its greatest purpose and greatest worth when it is used in harmony with God's design. So that means that if you are one who does have same-sex attraction or has questioning issues about sexuality, you can actually do what the biblical writers call specifically in the New Testament. You can renew your mind. You can realize that what your mind and your feelings are telling you is actually not your real reality. And you can actually renew. You can turn. The word often used is repent, which sadly just in our minds we think means saying sorry. Sorry. 
but it actually means transforming how you think about something. And this is where what's crazy, if you begin to understand this, again, you can disagree with me. We can talk about this after. Scott always says, I'll find you in the corner after and we can talk. But this is where if you understand this logic, that means that resisting feelings of homosexual attraction is not bondage. It's actually stepping into freedom. It's actually stepping into who am I supposed to be? Because we are invited, all of us, to bring our feelings in line with not just a better story, but with a better lover. You can trust that your biological identity from God is actually for your good. And what I want to say on this, though, again, there's so much to say on this. Thankfully, Scott's preaching on this again next week. He's going to clean up any confusion that I'm creating. I want to say that we are being invited to do this not by a God who's far up in the heavens, not by a God who does not relate, not by a God who does not know how hard and how much it often sucks to be in a body. No, we are invited to do this by a God who has taken on our embodied existence. Which again, right there, game changer. Game changer. If you understand that our God has actually chosen to put on this flesh and blood, literally having skin, having toenails, having bad breath, waking up with a bad hair day, what does that mean for you and your sexual struggles? Listen again to Hebrews 4. Since we have a great priest who has passed through the heavens, meaning he did not stay in the realm of God, Jesus, the Son of God, since we have that kind of a high priest, friends, we can hold fast. We can believe the story is true. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Wait, what? He has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what do we do in light of that? Friend, draw near. Approach him. He gets you. He wants to be with you. He loves you even in the midst of your temptation and struggle. Let us with confidence, not sheepishly draw near, with confidence draw near so that, what do we get? Get mercy. If the LGBTQ plus community heard that mercy, if they experienced mercy from the people of Jesus, there would be a huge drawing. Find grace to help us in time of need. So friend, all of us, but specifically for the one who has homosexual attraction, you are invited here to consider Jesus not just as a high priest, but as your wounded healer. Jesus is the wounded healer for all who wrestle with sexuality and identity. For the one struggling with homosexuality, the verse we just read said Jesus struggled in every way like we did. He suffered temptation. We often will think, oh, well, Jesus probably lusted after women. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says that Jesus relates to our suffering. And the point isn't, let's make a list of which sins did or didn't Jesus struggle with. The whole point is that he gets what you're going through. He gets it. Again, this is why to truly understand who we are in our bodies, 
we realize God himself in the incarnation did not just show up as a little baby in a cute manger that we put on stupid Christmas cards. He literally gets what it's like to walk in our shoes. That means that Jesus can relate to every one of your struggles. And he's not turning you away. He's not casting you off. He knows that we are suffering in temptation. And he is ever present to help in time of need, weakness, doubt. This kind of a God is the one who's inviting you. This kind of a God is saying, well, I've seen you out there, but come on in. No, he's running to you and saying, come be with me. I will go to you. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I will go to you. And, and on this passage, I just want to say, and, and my prayer this week is that this will hopefully be a huge weight of guilt lifted off of many. Temptation is not sin. It's critical for us to realize temptation is not sin. There's a big difference between being tempted and resisting and sin. But often many of us have a temptation to a sin and we just beat ourselves up. We live in shame. We think, oh, I'm being tempted to this. I'm just such a terrible person. Hey, friends, Jesus was tempted in every way. Tempted all the time. Wasn't just free of any temptation or draw to sin. But he did not sin. So that means he's perfectly able to relate, but he's perfectly able to invite you in. So for some of us here, again, maybe specifically for some of you with homosexual attraction, having that temptation alone is not sin. There's a big difference between giving into sin and living in sin and like pursuing homosexual sin versus just being tempted by that and resisting that temptation. There's a huge difference there. So, for you, if you do wrestle with same-sex attraction, what does it mean to walk out your sexuality? The well, first thing I want you to hear is there's no shame. You might feel shame, especially in seasons or cultures that maybe don't understand how to walk alongside you, which I think for Redemption Church, we are trying to grow in understanding that more. We are far from perfect in that. But this is where I want you to realize that we want Redemption Church to increasingly be a place where all sexual sinners, every one of you sitting here, heterosexual and homosexual sinners, we all have refuge. We all have safety in fellowship and in life with Jesus. And this is just where I'm just going to make an unapologetic plug for Illuminate, for Cultivate, for our missional communities. For those of you who don't know, we have a group of men committed to meet every Monday night to talk about real life, to talk about sexual struggles, marital struggles, job struggles, emotional struggles. A group of men every single Monday. I think we take off the fourth Monday. But every other Monday, they meet. Rain and shine, heat and cold. These guys are getting together. Seven o'clock. See you there tomorrow. Guys, you are welcome to this space. Ladies, in Cultivate, Krista is conscious. Kristen, our deacon who read for us, for those of you who don't know her, you should meet her. And I also will say Eric is the one who's leading Illuminate, for those of you who have not got to meet Eric yet. Our women are gathering intentionally in spaces, in meeting times, in relationships, 
to be able to talk about this stuff together. And also, I'll just make another unapologetic club. We've kind of structured a whole church around doing life together. There are these things called missional communities that we're still trying to figure out. But the whole point is putting things in place so that we realize discipleship happens not because you hear a sermon and go off alone to think about it, but you hear a sermon and then you say, hey, I was really ticked about what Nate said. I need to figure that out. With each other. So friends, our whole church has structures in place so that we can begin walking through this together. And so for some of you, maybe that you've been walking alone. Maybe you've been walking in shame. Maybe some of your first steps of obedience might be connecting to one of those spaces. If you want to talk more about that, grab me. Or grab Eric, or grab Krista, or grab Scott. Or grab your neighbor. Again, as I already alluded to, we're going to be talking more about homosexuality next week. And if you have questions, I do want to talk with you. But what I really want us to see right now, big picture, is that the lordship of Jesus even over our bodies is really good news. Because in Jesus, we get the source of what all sexual intimacy is actually pointing us towards. Lady Gaga and her quest for freedom, even thinking about what Scott said last week about hookup culture, all these people pursuing sexual freedom in any way, none of them know what the goal is. None of them know what the point of sexuality is. But the Bible makes it very clear that the goal of all sexual intimacy is leading us to the one who is so, who's wanting so much to be close to us in every way. That doesn't mean that God wants to have a sexual relationship with us. That means that sexuality itself is a pointer to something different. Sexuality is not the end goal. The goal is the closest possible intimate union between two who seem different coming together as one. That's what God wants with you. So that means for the one with homosexual attraction who is learning to walk out their sexuality, who's entrusting feelings and attraction and inner voices in their head, who's submitting that to Jesus, you still get the end goal. The end goal is there for you. You get Jesus which is what all sexual intimacy is pointing us towards. There's so much more to say there. Um, okay, I'm just going to say it. For some of you who maybe do have homosexual leanings, attraction, maybe for some of you who are in a season or a life commitment of celibacy, and you're trying to pursue Jesus with your sexual purity, you might feel like, oh, I'm missing out. I don't get to have a sexual relationship like all the married people do. And, and that's true. If you are following Jesus, then he's calling you to not have sex right now. But what you are doing and what you are getting is a picture for all of us of what union with Jesus looks like. For those who have a marriage covenant— they experience together what Jesus is wanting to have with them. So in one sense, they're using almost like the shadow to understand the reality. You don't get the shadow. You're living in the full, unhindered reality, which is hard, which I'm sure is painful. 
especially with you, for maybe some of you who have battled sexual attraction issues for years and you're wondering, will this change? I don't know. Will I ever get married? How could this happen? You are walking in a union with Jesus that most of us probably won't understand. But you know what that means? That means we have a lot to learn from you. And you have a lot to show us. And you are carrying a weight, both for the same-sex attracted person, for the celibate Christian, for the one who's wanting to be married and is not married. You have much to teach us in your journey. So I want you to see that you are not less than. You are not other. You have a lot to teach us about. And so, the question for you is, will you invite us in? Let's close by looking at how do we walk alongside our brothers and sisters. As Krista read for us earlier in Mark 12, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He says this is the second greatest commandment after loving God. Interestingly enough, if you look at the rest of the New Testament, how do we figure out if we actually are loving God? Anyone? If we're loving our brothers and sisters. There's a lot of people who say, I love God. And they're complete jerks. Are they really loving God? Doesn't look like it. So for the church today, for Redemption Church specifically, we need to do business with what does it mean to love our homosexual brothers and sisters. Because yes, the Bible has strong reservations and commandments against homosexual sin, but the Bible also tells us every person's your neighbor. No reservations. Sadly, many churches do one or the other. God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. So whether you're a homosexual sinner, a heterosexual sinner, come in and we're never going to talk about sin. We're never going to call you to obedience. A lot of churches, you know, their flagship is love your neighbor as yourself. No reservations. A lot of churches, God hates sexual sin. Yeah, and love your neighbor's stuff. But we're not going to talk about that. He hates sexual sin. And then you hate gay people. If, sadly, if you line up, most churches, sadly, will often sometimes land in one or the other. Can you do both? Both are in the Bible. Sadly, churches ignore one or the other. But what if the church is called to love our neighbor as ourself? And that means... All people, all religions, all races, all sexual orientations. And I just want to say this. Loving your neighbor doesn't mean pulling in your trash can. Oh, there's my gay neighbor. Hi. Oh, I love my neighbor today. Not, um, again, I'm calling myself out on that. It doesn't mean being nice at the work function to your openly gay coworker. It's not what loving your neighbor as yourself means. Loving your neighbor as yourself means how can I intentionally lay down my life for the good of those I would normally be opposed to? How can I intentionally lay down my life for the good of those I would normally be opposed to? What does it mean to lay down your life so that people can experience the love and welcome of Jesus? To love our neighbor as ourselves means that we are to willingly and sacrificially and radically Give of our lives, our time, our talents, our money to serve those who would normally be our enemies. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. 
Think about this. The Bible was, again, we often like think, oh, the Bible's a long time ago. We can't relate to it. Oh, Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman. I don't understand that. Friends, those were groups of people that viciously hated each other. The Jews and Samaritans did not get together for whatever the Israelite Super Bowl would have been. They would not associate. Hmm, sounds sadly often like how the church relates to the gay community. We do not associate. Jesus told that culture, lay down your life for each other. What does it mean if we take that reality and see that at work today in the church? Friends, that's the real war. The real war against Satan and sin is not won by arguing about news headlines and stats and policies, though there is a place for those things. But the real war is won. I want you to catch this. The real war is won as the crucified lover of the gay community is embodied in men and women who love those who normally they'd be opposed to. I want to close by telling you a story. Does anyone remember the Pulse gay club shooting back in 2016? Anybody remember that? Yeah. In June of 2016, a gunman entered a gay club in Orlando and killed 49 people and wounded 53 more as an act of violence against the gay community. I actually remember, I actually just thought of this. Jen, I'm sure you remember this. At the time, we had a, a friend who was the manager of a Starbucks, and he's openly gay, and he was a really good friend of ours in our missional community. He actually partnered with us in mission sometimes. And when that happened, it wrecked him. Didn't want to leave his house. Scared to death. How did you respond at that time? Well, probably had it coming. I mean, you're living in sin. Did you say that? Did it break your heart that image bearers were heartlessly targeted and killed because of their sexuality? Well, I had a pastor friend who was living in Portland at this time in 2016, and he actually lived next door to the mayor of Portland who was openly gay. And when that nightclub shooting happened and similar acts of violence against the gay community happened, my friend's church spoke up and stood against that violence. The mayor of Portland, who was openly gay, who knew my friend in his church disagreed with his sexuality, simultaneously knew these people will defend us. These people will not stop loving us and pressing into us, even though they disagree with our sexuality. When the gay community was under physical attack, it was the Christians who stood up for the safety of the gay community. What? What would it look like for Redemption Church to become a place where the gay community, where those who struggle with same-sex attraction knew that though we disagree with their lifestyle and sexual sin, that does not stop us from loving and welcoming them into our lives. What would it look like to lay down our lives for them? And not only that, for some of us, this might be the most important part for you today. What would it look like for us to acknowledge our own self-righteousness and illusions of superiority 
and to repent of that. Because whether you are gay or straight, your own quest for fulfillment through romantic love is going to leave you hopelessly lost. That means the ground is level, friends. Whether you are a heterosexual sinner pursuing romantic love as the end-all be-all or a homosexual sinner pursuing romantic love as the end-all be-all. Friends, for all of us, hopeless disappointment is waiting because we're both missing what the goal of all sexual intimacy is leading us to. For many people, they think having same-sex attraction is what sends people to hell and what separates people from God. Well, what actually separates people and sends them to hell is self-righteousness thinking that you are your own savior, thinking that my own goodness is going to bring me to God. That's what sends people to hell, separated from God for all of eternity. Because the only thing that saves us, all of us sexual sinners, is our connection to Jesus. That means there's no disdain for homosexuals, but rather only welcome listening, an invitation to see Jesus. And this means that we're all just, that we here today, I, I hope, are being drawn to see Jesus in his love, but that we actually are not just drawn to him, but we're called to embody his life for those that normally we would be opposed to. So what's awesome is that today is a communion Sunday. So I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to partake of communion together. Jesus, I ask that you would give each of us pause and space in our hearts to reflect on what has been shaping our thoughts as it relates to the topic of homosexuality. Has it been self-righteousness? Has it been disdain? Has it been illusions of superiority? Pray for those of us who identify in that camp, Jesus that we would experience your welcome now to come to the table, to lay down our supposed goodness, and to experience your love for us with no strings attached. I pray that that would humble us, God, but also embolden us to repent and to celebrate. And for those of us here, Jesus, who do wrestle with same-sex attraction, for those of us here who do wrestle with any number of sexual sin issues, Jesus, help us to remember that we are invited to this communion table. Not as a second chance. That we're invited to the table not because we're promising to clean up, we're promising to change. Jesus, we are invited to experience the one thing this world cannot fathom, which is grace. Grace, the completely paradoxical reality that we bring nothing and we get everything. So Jesus, for the sexual sinner today, which is all of us, would we, Jesus, hear your welcome, hear your call to entrust our bodies, our longings, our feelings, our core intuition, 
our true quest for authenticity, would we see you, Jesus, as the one actually calling to us? For some, Jesus, I pray that today would be a repentant moment, that today would represent a chance to open up, to come out, to share about where we are at. Jesus, and I also just want to say for those who I know do struggle, Lord, I know that takes boldness. It takes courage to be honest about how we truly feel. But I pray, Jesus, that Hebrews 4 would be our anthem. That though you are calling us to walk in openness, you also are saying, I'm right there with you. I know what that's like. So Jesus, even now as we come to receive communion, pray that we would experience this inbreaking of the new creation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.